Matthew chapter 7, as, uh, as we pick up where we left off last time. Now, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, we've come to this part that's called the Sermon on the Mount, and that goes from chapters 5 all the way through chapter 7. We're in the home stretch of that, which is the, the middle part of chapter 7. One of the things that we've been saying as we've traveled through is that in this particular portion of Scripture, Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples, but there is a much larger crowd listening in. He's speaking to his disciples with the hope that those who are part of the crowd, they will be uh, moving closer and closer to being a disciple. So we, as we began this in chapter 5, we talked about how Jesus took the bulk of the chapter to say that he did not come to nullify what we would call the Old Testament law, but to fulfill it. And we made the comment that he was going to fulfill it by living it the way that it was intended originally, but not by the way that it was being currently misinterpreted. And then we went into chapter 6, and in chapter 6 Jesus dealt very practically with what it means to live out being a disciple. And it talked about giving to those in need, it talked about prayer, it talked about um, fasting, and it talked about laying up treasures in heaven. And so we talked about that. And then last week we came and we began chapter we began chapter 7. And in chapter 7, Jesus begins to point out certain things to his disciples to help them not go too far in any one direction. So chapter 7, verse 1, just by way of review, let's all look at it. He says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. And so he takes the the first few verses of chapter 7 to teach his disciples not to be so critical of other people. And, And then last week I said, Have you ever met a believer or a group of believers or come from a a group of believers that seem to be very critical of just about everybody? And uh, so we talked about what that was like. Don't be so critical. But then Jesus says just the opposite. Some people aren't so critical. They're just so gullible. So in verse 6 he said, don't throw your pearls before, or do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to to pieces. And so we, we talked about that, how some people on the one hand can be very critical and then on the other hand some believers can be very gullible. And we talked about what that was like when we have this misguided zeal and we feel like we have to just stay in there and love people who are hostile to us and they're, anytime they have the opportunity to attack us and they don't want the gospel and they don't want us. And, uh, and sometimes in our misguided zeal we can stay in there. And Jesus says, look, don't, don't throw your pearls before swine. They don't want it. It's okay to move on. And so we talked about that. So you have the two extremes. And so you want to keep that in mind as we get into this today because Jesus is going to carry the thought of a little bit further of the things that maybe sometimes we as believers miss. So today when he talks about, at least in the first part, don't be so critical and on the other hand don't be so gullible, how do you discern? Well the first thing that he's going to talk to, talk to us about is first of all you discern that in prayer. But what he's also going to do in the passages that we look at today is he's going to give us a paradigm for how disciples are supposed to think and how they're supposed to act, what they're supposed to do. And for many of us, we come from a church background where some of this was never explained to us. And because of that, 
maybe if we look back in our past, we've missed out on certain things. We've missed out on a lot. So I want to I share some things that, that, Jesus, that Jesus shares in this here today. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 7, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 11. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone, and I've underlined that word everyone, who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks will be open. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good, th- good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? I don't typically like to read that much, but there's a, there's a reason for that, and that we'll see in a, in a few minutes. So when we read this in our Bibles, most of our Bibles say, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find. And, and that's good, but it misses what's really being said in the original language. So I've placed on your outline from the complete Jewish Bible, it brings out the tense of what's being said. So there in your outline, what Jesus is saying, another way to say it, probably a little bit more accurately, Jesus is saying, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who keeps asking receives, and he who keeps seeking finds, and to him who keeps knocking the door will be open. So what Jesus is talking about here is more than just a one-time event. It's something that we continue to do as we go forward. What we're going to find today is that God works in our lives through a process. And uh, for many of us, we come from a church background where this process, again, was never explained. So I want to highlight something else before we jump into this. You notice in verse 8, he says, for everyone who asks. And that's, that's important here because we've made the point each week that Jesus is speaking specifically in this passage, in these three chapters, to his disciples. But here he says, for everyone. One of the things that we, we've, we've noted is that Jesus gives different promises to different groups of people. So when Jesus is speaking to his disciples uh, in a very closed setting, and it's only the disciples, he'll say things like, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I give it to you. Yet he never says that when he's speaking to the crowd. To the crowd, he says things like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, so it's different groups, different promises. Now they all love Jesus, they're all going to heaven, there's, there's no issue there, but he entrusts certain ones because they have committed with, with a, little bit, a little bit more. But here what Jesus is talking about in verse 8, he says, for everyone, what he's talking about here, this promise, and you want to write this down, is for everyone. It's for everyone. Anybody who will do this, it's for them. There is a process that God uses And so we're going to begin in verse 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. So the first first part of the process is asking. So I begin with asking. Go ahead and write that down. And and that's just simply, you and I would call that prayer. We just prayer. Now, when when we pray, um, I want to to just give three really quick thoughts on prayer. How do you pray or, or what do you pray for? A couple of things. First of all, James would say it like this there in your outline. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And uh, one of the sad realities is many people never take the time to ask. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And you do not ask, uh, and you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. And that word, if you had the old King James, would be lust. That's the person who who prays, it's all about me. Uh, this, This would be the person 
who believes that Jesus came and Jesus came to help me accomplish my dreams, my goals, my aspirations for me to live out my, you know, it's, and it's all about me. But, but they forget to say, Lord, what is it that you want to do? And so they, their prayers are very different. They pray about what, what they can get from God as opposed to, Lord, what is it that you want to do? Well, that would be the first uh, thought I would give. But then the second thing from Psalms, it says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, it's not that he fulfills every desire of our heart, but as we delight in him, he gives us the desires that he wants us to have. So if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, he is giving you those desires that he wants you to have. So um, you know, if you're if you're a dad, you're, you're a husband, you know, and you're delighting yourself in the Lord, you're, he's giving you the desire. And you're, you're probably going to pray, God, help me to be a good husband. That, that, something like that. Uh, you're delighting yourself in the Lord. He's giving you that desire. That's your desire. So you're probably not saying, Lord, give me another wife. You know, that, that'd be very different. Uh, you're saying, Lord, help me to be a, a good dad. You know, and don't, you know, don't give me another set of children. You know, just, I, I want this one here. So the idea is you, know, you delight yourself in the Lord. So if, as you delight yourself in the Lord, it's okay to pray for provision. He wants to take care of your needs and that's fine. It's okay to pray if uh, you're single, you say, Lord, I, I want to meet somebody. I want to spend my life with somebody. You know, it's, it's okay because you know, the Bible says that it's not good for a man to be alone, which also means it's not good for a woman to be alone. He's designed us that way. So it's okay to pray for those things. It's okay to pray for, for wisdom. It's okay to pray for wisdom. So you delight yourself in the Lord. So how do you know? Notice this verse there in your outline, and John, John would say it like this. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he, that if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the request that we've asked from him. So if we know that we are asking according to his will, then we should have confidence that he's going to answer those requests. But we say, well, I know because God's told me that this is his, his will, and I've prayed, but it just hasn't happened. It's, it's not happening. So, so why isn't it happening? Well, this is where I want to share the process that God uses. So we begin by asking, and that's praying. And he wants us to have confidence that he's actually going to answer. But once I begin praying, you notice in verse 7 he says, ask and it will be given to you. And then he follows that up with seek and you shall find or keep seeking and you shall find. So I begin with asking and then I start seeking. And you want to write that down. I start seeking. This is where my church background tended to miss it. In my church background, we were taught more to say, we ask the Lord and then we wait. We wait on the Lord. And we even had a few verses, wait, you know, those who wait on the Lord, wait for the Lord. And we read that in English and it sounds like you just sit kind of passively. The, the challenge with that, and I didn't have time to, to really talk about it or space on the outline, but the word wait in the original language is very active. It's not that you just sit there and wait. But we were taught you pray and then you wait. But Jesus says, no, if you're going to be a disciple, you pray, then you start seeking. You start seeking. So we, in, in my church background, we missed out on the process that God used, or that God uses. So it was in chapter 6 that we were going through, and we used this illustration. I put it on your outline. 
Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor do they reap. You know, they don't plant, they don't harvest. They don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? So when, when we were there, we realized that that's true. You know, he feeds the birds of the air. You've, you've probably never seen a starving bird. He does that. So we asked the question, if God promises to feed the birds of the air, does he drop the worm off at the nest? To which we all said, no, absolutely not. So there, there's a process that God uses. Uh, he's provided it, it's out there, but now they're going to have to begin seeking it. They're going to have to go get it. That You can't just, say, they can't just ask and, and wait, they have to go. They've got to seek. And so when the bird gets going, what takes place is, is that, I, I would guess, the, the bird gets going, that, you know, they, they fly over here and they look under this log and there's nothing there. And uh, so they fly over here to this bush and they look under there, there's nothing there. Fly over here in this tree, there's nothing there. After three attempts, do they say, oh, it's just not true, I'm going back to the nest? Or would you say, no, they just keep searching, keep seeking until they find it? Would that, would that be accurate? So, so that you keep going until. That's why it says keep seeking. Now, um, many times what will take place is we say, okay, I'm going to seek. I'm going to seek. And so we launch out and we look here, we look there, we look over here, three places, and we go, I've tried everything everything and nothing. It's not working. That's when he says, keep seeking. You keep seeking until. And so many times as believers, we miss it because first of all, we ask and then we wait. No, it's, it's ask, then you begin seeking. We begin seeking, we try one, two, three things, it doesn't work out. It's just not true. No, no, no. We ask, we seek, and we seek until we find what we're looking for. God uses that process. It's a very active process. And, and he loves to use that process where he says, it's out there, now you're going to seek, and I'm going to go with you, and it's going to be a great journey, and it's going to be a, a, great, a great thing as we together go searching. But we can't stop until, until we find it. So the, the mindset of a disciple, and, and I think that Jesus has to lay this out, the mindset of a disciple is one who asks and then begins to seek, and they keep seeking, they keep seeking the answers, they keep seeking whatever it is that they are praying about, they are actively going, but they don't stop one, two, three attempts, they keep going. Does that make sense? So we ask and then we seek. And, and again, from my background, we tended to stop seeking a whole lot sooner than we should. The mindset of a disciple is one who seeks. But then, th- this is the part that I really love. Um, we ask, we seek, and uh, what takes place is we find ourselves coming up to something that we might call a closed door. So uh, a closed door, what does that mean? Well, I want you to write this down. When I come to a closed door, I start knocking. I start knocking. And in my church background, we were very quick to say at the first time there was any resistance, this is a closed door, God must not be in this. The reason it says, he who knocks, it will be open, implies that you're going to come up against a closed door in your searching. It's closed, it hasn't opened. So what do we got to do to open it? We got to start knocking. We can't say God's not in it. Uh, there are those who will say, and tell me if you've ever heard this. There are those who will say, you know, if God's in it, you're just going to know it. And the way that you're going to know it is you're going to go and everything's just going to open up. It's going to be so smooth and it just open, open, open. And you just know that's how God is in it. Anybody ever heard anything like that? Problem with that, it's just not true. 
the truth is, Jesus is telling us there are going to come times in our life as we're seeking, we think this is the door, we walk up to it, and it's closed. A closed door doesn't mean that God's not in it. It means it's time to start knocking to see if it will open. I'm so glad I shared a few moments ago about the, the building project that, that uh, we've been in. For those of you who've been part of Calvary for some time, you'll know that we started the rezoning process in 2011, and uh, many times it was a closed door. The people at the county said that they've never seen a rezoning to go so long. And, and there were times where we began to say, Lord, is this a closed door or is this something that you want us to keep knocking? And we would pray and we'd say, it would just be that sense of you got to keep knocking. So we'd keep knocking, keep knocking, and, and the door would open. Then there'd be another closed door and the door would open, another closed door. And ultimately this year, you know the story, we got the approval to go forward. But if we looked at the first closed door as saying God's not in it, well, we'd be, you know, where, well, we wouldn't be where, we, I'm trying to find the right words. It's, it's they're in there somewhere, but you get the point. You get the point, right? Okay. So, so again, in, in my background, we were very, very quick to say if the door is closed, if there's any resistance, that means that God is not in it. And so, uh, but Jesus is teaching here that a closed door doesn't mean that God's not in it. A closed door means that we just start knocking. So here's what we do. I want you to write this down. We keep knocking until the door opens or until the Lord makes it clear that this is not the door. And God has ways to, to make it very clear that this is not the right direction. So some doors you knock on, they're not going to open, but you can't look at every door that's closed and say God's not in it. I, I love the story of Paul the Apostle, that he was just a master of this. He would launch out and he would go knocking on the door, you might say, until God shut down the door. There on your outline, uh, it says, having come down from Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. He's going, he's knocking on the door, it's Jesus who shuts it down. And, and so he did not let the obstacles slow him down but if Jesus shut it down, that was fine. He was great to, uh, to discern which was which. So write this down. Faith is revealed by persistence. So in, in prayer and in life, God calls us to seek and to knock. And, and in that knocking, that's going to require some persistence. And, and then what we get from this, I think God uses this process of seeking and persisting And the reason that he uses this process is to clarify for us what's really important. So there in your outline, I believe that God calls us to persist because it helps me determine what's really important. You know, when when you you come across some obstacles, it's there that you, you come to the place and you have to ask yourself, is this really that important to me? And we'll only persist in the things that are very important. So God uses that to clarify in my spiritual background growing up in church, we valued being super polite, and, and, um, but we didn't value uh, what, the, what Jesus might call chutzpah. And how many of you have ever heard of the term chutzpah? It's a, it's a great term. Now, when, when uh, we think of knocking on the door, knocking and knocking and knocking, that can be perceived as being a little bit pushy. But what we're going to find in the Bible, that the Bible elevates using a little chutzpah. 
Again, that's very different than much, much of the church culture that many of us were raised in, especially if you come from a culture like mine where you always be kind, always be sweet, and be kind of mild-mannered. And so that, it's, it's very different in the Bible. There are two books, in it, and if you're a book reader, I want to I just recommend two books. The first book is called Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes. And uh, it's a great, great book. You can recognize the cover if you go to Amazon or wherever. And this was actually written by one of the professors at PBA. So, and it's really a great book. The great thing about this book is that many times we read the Bible as Westerners and we take our culture and we put it into the Bible. And many times what the Bible's saying is exactly the opposite. So great book if, you, if you're a reader. But another book that I've loved, especially as I've been studying for Matthew, to give a great deal of the cultural background, is a book called Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. And it's by a, a person named Lois Tverberg. I can't even pronounce it. T.V. Erberg is the idea. That's Tverberg. And uh, what this book does is it's so great and taking us and helping us to understand the culture that Jesus was ministering in. So I I wanted to just share something with you. I I don't do this too often, but there's a chapter in this book called Praying with Chutzpah. And the author talks about being in Jerusalem, getting on a bus, and experiencing something that's very valued in the Middle East, very valued in Jewish culture, and very valued by Jesus. So let me just read you a quick story here, and then we'll unpack it. So she shares of her story being in Jerusalem on a bus, bus, and she says, one afternoon I was riding downtown and I got an even stronger taste of the culture. A gray-haired matronly retiree climbed aboard and plunked herself into an empty seat halfway back. She hadn't, however, paid any fare. She just shuffled past the driver, feigning ignorance. Now, craning to make eye contact in his mirror, the driver called back to her over the crowd, I'm going to butcher this, Ifo Gavret, which means, where to, ma'am? At first, she stared out the window, pretending not to notice. Ifo Gavret, the whole bus looked on. Finally, she barked back a gruff response, completely impenitent. A flurry of indecipherable Hebrew filled the air, the gist of which which was obvious, either buy a ticket or get off the bus. The woman was immovable, glued to her seat, adamant. The driver threw up his hands at her, the universal and widely used Israeli gesture of annoyance and disgust. And the bus didn't move either. Right in the middle of Neviem Street, a major artery with only a single drivable lane, the driver shifted into park, snapped open a newspaper, newspaper, sat back to read the headlines. Blocks and blocks of traffic snaked to a standstill behind us. After what seemed forever, the woman slowly rose and exited the side doors. Half of Jerusalem had come to a stop for this lady. That's what you call chutzpah. Utter nerve, sheer audacity that borders on obnoxiousness. Both the woman and the bus driver knew how to push the boundaries of propriety for their purposes. Then she concludes, if you grew up as a small town Midwesterner like me, you'd find this behavior nearly unimaginable. I come from the land of Minnesota nice, where we'd rather die than violate our code of mild-mannered courteousness. 
For me, the bus ride was a cultural journey to the ends of the earth. We're not in Minnesota anymore, Toto. <laughs> so so I, I tell you that because the Bible was written in a culture where chutzpah was valued. And many times what takes place is just based upon who has the most chutzpah. So I put there on your outline, there's a couple of addresses that you can look up later. For instance, you'll see one is Luke chapter 18. And uh, you know the story, there's the, the woman who's a widow and she has no rights and she goes before the judge who doesn't care about God, doesn't care about her, but she keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming. And you remember the story that the judge says, I don't care about her, but because this woman keeps coming to me, she's going to wear me out, so I'm going to give her what she wants. And of course, we all realize that's a study in opposites. She has no rights. She goes before someone who doesn't care, and uh, it's very different for you and I. We are his child, and he cares for us. If she can get it, how much more can we get that? But the idea is it talks about chutzpah, having a little chutzpah. You're, you're not going to, you get it. And then there's another story, Mark chapter 7, and you can read it later. It's called The Syrophoenician Woman. This is a woman who's not Jewish, she's not a believer, but she hears that Jesus is in town and her daughter has been plagued by a demon. So she says, I've got to get help. So she comes to the house where Jesus is at. There's a large crowd outside. She's at the fringe of the crowd and she's screaming, my daughter needs help. My daughter needs help. And and nobody's paying her any attention. The disciples are saying, could you send her away? She's annoying. And she starts to make her way through the crowd and she doesn't quit. My daughter needs help. My daughter needs help. And ultimately she finds herself in the house and she's saying, my daughter needs help. And she's not quitting. And Jesus responds, I've only come to, to be for the lost sheep of, of Israel. To which she responds and says, yes, but even the puppies get the crumbs off the table. And Jesus responds saying, yes, your faith is great, your daughter is healed. The idea is he's elevating her chutzpah and he's showing that that's, that's something that he honors as the chutzpah. And uh, we'll look at that when we get there. But the, but the idea is that in that culture they valued chutzpah. So, speaking of chutzpah, There on your outline, this story that we're looking at where he says, ask, seek, and knock, is told in Luke's gospel. And I put it there on your outline. And so let me read it to you from Luke's gospel. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, let me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And if you know anything about the mid the Mideast, they value hospitality. It's, 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 it's one of their highest values. And so not having something for a friend is a terrible thing. For a friend of mine has come from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot, to get, I cannot get up and give you anything. And uh, you get the sense the guy's not leaving. He's going to be pounding on the door. Jesus continues and he says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, because he's his friend, yet because of his, what's that word? Persistence. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. You're not going to let me get any sleep till I give it to you, so I'm going to do that. So Jesus says, so I say to you, and it will be given to you. I, I, he says, I say, I, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks it is open. Now suppose that one of your fathers has asked for a son by a fish. I just put that in there so you know it's the same story. So, so the idea is if, you're, if, if uh, this man can, for, through a little chutzpah, get this guy up to give him what he needs, how much more will your heavenly Father 
meet your needs if you use a little chutzpah. But it's also a metaphor for life. It's not just in prayer, it's in life. So in prayer and in life, God honors chutzpah, that, that continuous knocking. So, so many times in my church background, we viewed having a little chutzpah, persistence, continuous knocking, as being kind of impolite. But what you find is the stories in the Bible, they got what they wanted when they really didn't care how like, anybody thought that they were. It's the same thing. Well, going on, so we keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, while at the same time trusting the promise. So God says, if you'll do that, ask, seek, knock, here's the promise. It shall be given. It sh- you shall find. It shall be opened. So my continued asking, seeking, and knocking is a statement of my faith. It's what I really believe. So if, if I go seeking one, two, three, and it doesn't work out, and I say, it's not it. It's just not true. And, and I go back and I stop seeking. That's a statement of my faith. And, and yet like the bird, you go and you keep, you keep. And that's a step of faith. It's a statement of faith. In the last chapter, chapter 6, you'll recall that Jesus is telling his disciples to store up for themselves treasures in heaven. And uh, he realized that some people would have a difficult time with that because they were afraid that God would not take care of them. So Jesus says, let me give you a couple of reasons why you can trust that. And you'll recall he says, first of all, consider the birds of the air. You know, they're, they're fed and God cares about you. Consider the lilies of the field. You know, they, they look good and, and you know, so you're more important. Here Jesus realizes that some who would be followers of his would really struggle with the continued asking and then launching out and seeking and knocking. So he says, here's why you should have the confidence to keep seeking and keep knocking. We pick it up in verse 9. Here's why. What man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf? will give him a stone. Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? See, the idea is if a reasonably responsible dad would take care of his children, how much more will our Heavenly Father take care of us? So here's what we get from that. And I want you to write this down. God's desire is to bless my life. He wants to bless my life. That's why you have verses like the one on your outline, Psalm 35. It says, the Lord be magnified who delights in the prosperity of a servant. But here's what we find. God tends to work through a process. The process is asking, then it's continuous seeking, and then when you come to a door that seems shut, it's knocking. And that's where many well-intentioned believers miss out because they don't seek until. And when they come to a door that seems shut, they say God's not in it. God wants to bless, but he uses a process. Uh, Very quickly, one other thing I would just say, God gives only what he knows is good. I think you can get from that, that that if the son were to come and ask for a snake, he's not going to get that request. God's only going to give what's good. But my willingness to ask, seek, and knock in prayer and life reveals what I really believe about God. And so I, I want to be, and I think we want to be, a church that believes God enough that when we ask, we begin to seek, and we keep seeking until we get the answer. And sometimes when there's a closed door, we want to be those who begin to knock 
And if the door isn't going to open it, we, we want it to not open because Jesus reveals this is not the door, but not because we won't knock. It's, it's a little bit of chutzpah there. Closing that section, and then he gives the summary statement of the Sermon on the Mount, which is verse 12, which I'm not going to amplify. I'm just going to read it. This is the summary statement of everything we've talked about thus far. He says, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. When he says, in everything, the word therefore means this is the summary of the entire Sermon on the Mount, and in every aspect of my life, I treat people the way I'd want them to treat me, and that is the summation of the law and the prophets. And uh, we'll pick it up there next week. Did you find that at least interesting? How, how many of you come from a church background where you were taught to ask and wait, but not to begin seeking? Yeah, a lot of us. And then, then you, if, to knock on the door and exercise a little chutzpah, we considered that rude. Or, and, and so, but, so it, uh, we're going to pray. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we wrap this up today, first of all, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we've been going through and having it unfold, you've been challenging some of our paradigms that we've grown up with. And, and so we seek to, to understand what it is that you're saying to us through your word, with your word and your spirit. And thank you for the work that you've been doing in, in our lives and in our church. Father, this is Memorial Day weekend. And uh, we want to just say thank you. And Lord, we are blessed by all of those who paid the ultimate sacrifice because they really believed that what we do here on Sunday morning was even more important than their individual life. That the freedoms that we hold, that we get to enjoy, was so are so important that they were willing to sacrifice their lives. And we're reminded of the verse in John 15 where you say, no greater love has anyone than this, than one lays down his life for his friends. And Father, we have some friends that we've never met, and they've laid down their lives so that we could be here today and we can enjoy these freedoms and this life. Father, we pray that you would help us to live life responsibly in such a way so that their sacrifice is never forgotten and so that their sacrifice, what they fought for, continues and never goes by the wayside I pray, God, that you help us always to represent you well in all things. Keep us over this weekend and keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time. <laughs>